0: Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
1: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that learn more at marines.com
0: survivor 46 is here and so is on fire the only official survivor podcast and we have a twist this season the winner of survivor 45 d will be joining us every week we're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me a survivor winner
1: Welcome back Tiger Fans to Rockham Nations Football Podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is before the box score. We are still just basking in the glow, the afterglow of the LSU victory because there's a lot of stuff to talk about and not all of it's good, but we still had good things happening. BK, how are you doing?
0: I'm good man my team that I root for that I watch every Saturday beat a top 25 opponent on Saturday they beat a team that was supposed to beat them by two touchdowns they ended up winning that game so you know what I am all good right now how you doing my friend
1: <laughs> still feeling good man it still happened <laughs> uh, you can't take that away from me it's beautiful uh, we watched it with our own eyes so that's that's a beautiful thing uh, and actually the, the team did so damn well. Uh, that the national audience started taking a look, paying attention to what little old Missouri did. Um, I saw that uh, Connor Bazlack was, well, what is this stupid thing? SEC Freshman of the Week and uh, a Manning, what is this? What is this, a Manning Award winner? It's like something you have to vote for on, on Facebook. But point is, is that he was... Everyone's noticing that he was a really good quarterback against a really good team. So uh, that's always nice to have your kids be recognized on the national level.
0: I'm into it, man. Um, And on top of that, yesterday, Eli Drinkwitz was on the Paul Feinbaum show. Today, he was on the Jim Rome show. So it's not just, and I I know people will laugh at that and be like, oh, who the hell cares? I I get it. You're right. It, It doesn't much matter. But it does matter that Eli Drinkwitz is doing the national tour because it's something that you didn't very often see by previous Mizzou coaches Mm -hmm. in terms of the entertainment factor. Like they would go on there and nothing would come of it. There would be no buzz. So you're on there, but you're not actually creating any sort of real tangible benefit to you being on the show. For all of his downside, Lane Kiffrin does one thing really well. He sells himself and that... There's good and bad that comes with that, but you know what Lane Kiffin is doing when he's doing it. When he goes on to Twitter, he makes a splash with what he's doing on Twitter. When he goes on to Paul Feinbaum, he's making a splash with what he does on there. Eli Drinkwitz made a splash yesterday when he went on Paul Feinbaum's show. Like he had a couple of quotes that I don't know if they went viral, but they at least created a little bit of a buzz about his appearance. And then today, the fact that he was on Jim Rome afterwards did create a little bit more buzz than you would typically see for the Missouri football coach. So. I do think that is something worth uh, noting as well.
1: Missouri is not a national brand, just flat out. Um, so the more you can do that, and whatever you feel, you know, whatever your feelings about the Fine Bomb Show or Jim Rome Show or any of those national syndicate kind of shows, like if you hate them, that's fine. That's not the point. The point is that Missouri's head football coach is on these shows, on national shows. Why is he doing it? Well, listener, the reason a college football coach does anything is because of recruiting. Okay, that's why he does anything. So why is he on there? Recruiting. He can put his brand out there. He can say some things that you know catch someone's attention. You know, some 14-year-old kid goes, "Huh, Mizzou?" Hmm. Here's the coach talk, and then starts taking a look at it. Maybe he goes visit visits a camp. Maybe he starts doing some research. Maybe he reaches out to the coaches and say, "Hey, you know, what are you guys all about?" Here's like. Here's my freshman tape or whatever. Like, these are this is how this works, okay? Putting yourself out there, creating buzz, calling attention to yourself to get one or two extra kids that, who might not have considered you in on the action. So that's – it's a good thing. Whether Whatever you feel about these shows, it's a good thing, and it's always nice to have Missouri on the national stage, at least for a little bit.
0: Yeah, the reason why they go on these shows is because of the audience, right? It, like, it's just the sheer number of people that are watching or listening to them. And like you said, you can love them or hate them. I don't much care. I'm not even a huge fan of either of those two shows. Um, But it's about the audience that you're able to reach by going on to those. And just as a little bit of an uh, somewhat insider um, knowledge, I requested Eli Drinkwitz to come on our show this week, of course, because... (laughs) i would like to have him on our show in st louis and the response from the pr department was hey we're kind of booked up this week <laughs> like, yeah so uh, that's a good thing it like it, it 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 sucks for me i would like to have eli Drinkwitz <laughs> on our show but yeah. it's good that there is so much um demand for eli drink drink right now on bigger shows that mean more than ours does here in st louis that he doesn't even have time to come on in St. Louis right now, so that's a good thing um, when it when it comes to that.
1: I agree, and I'm sorry for your your loss. Um, <laughs> how many times has he been on your show?
0: Uh two or three at this point. Two so, or three, yeah. um, m- more than most, but I I would be willing to have him on every day,
1: honestly. Same. Now, here's the thing. Here's the other thing. You get one upset, and you are a young enough team with a young enough coach and a, and a young enough staff that people aren't familiar with you. I was listening to the Solid Verbal earlier today, their recap of the college football weekend. They got to Mizzou LSU pretty early in the episode. And one thing that they did at the end, Solid Verbal covers, covers, is a podcast that covers college football if you guys don't listen. You should, they're entertaining. Um, They talked about the game, of course, but then they said, this Missouri offense is legit. Connor Bazelak is legit. And they rattled off the rest of Missouri's schedule. Now, before the season started, the solid verbal guys had Missouri pegged for like two wins, one or two wins. They said, which of these teams do you think Missouri is going to lose? And they rattled off Kentucky. No South Carolina. No Arkansas. No Mississippi state. No. I mean, again, this is a national view. They don't know these teams like we do. Okay. But still the fact is, is that from a national view, from a broader sense, people are buying the Missouri stock and they're thinking this team can make some noise. I disagree wholeheartedly with the wins. I was, wins.
0: Say, I was <laughs> like to short it compared to that. <laughs> yeah,
1: but like, it, this changes the reputation. This is what goes back to Matt Campbell and Iowa State. This goes back to Jeff Robin, Purdue, like you always talked about. You get an upset and just people just lazily peg you for better or worse as giant killer. This program is going somewhere. Uh, put them down for five wins. Move on, and that doesn't happen all that often at Mizzou.
0: It doesn't, and it shouldn't. They, they didn't deserve to have that sort of expectations previously. And now you've got excitement. Like, that's, that's what all of this is, mm-hmm. really, right? It, it's energy, it's buzz, it's excitement. And when you have a quarterback who is young and lights up a LSU team that was supposed to beat you, that adds to the excitement. And then you have so many receivers out, and I know we'll get to this later on today, and the young ones come up and they step up in a big way that adds to the excitement and you have Eli Drinkwitz who's coming out saying uh, how he loved the way that even other young guys like Nico Hay played Mm -hmm. in this game Uh, that adds to it a little bit more as well so you're just building on there's there's clearly um a pretty good foundation there with the coaching staff and now the quarterback that you have in place and now we're building on top of that with uh, we're, we're, we're putting in the family room we're putting in the kitchen and eventually you're going to have a toaster in the kitchen. Like you're adding on some of these <laughs> accessories to what is the foundation of your program. And that's what this season was supposed to be about. It was about building the foundation. So that way later on you can really ha- build something that hopefully becomes special.
1: Absolutely. Brick by brick. I forget who used that. I think every football coach has used that term at some point in their lives, but it's, it's nice to get a couple bricks down in one week. So um uh, yeah, and get that toaster in there. Toasters are good. Um so gosh, I just I, I kept going back to the LSU game. Uh obviously my, my beyond the box score dropped today, so you all got to see the inner ramblings of my number numbers muse. Um BK, was there anything that I mean, we just talked about the game, not even two days ago, but was there anything that you noticed or or Wanted to discuss after letting it uh, marinate for a couple more days.
0: Actually, yeah. So I remember last week we talked a lot about the scoring opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we mentioned was scoring opportunities are not just when you get into the red zone. It's bigger than that. If you get on the other side of the field, basically, you're starting to get close to a scoring opportunity. And I saw in your your breakdown, Missouri in this game against LSU had eight scoring opportunities, which is quite good. Mm Mm-hmm. And they converted those for 5.6 points per opportunity, which means every time they got into the scoring zone, which is, if I'm not mistaken, inside the 40, right? The opponent's 40. You score an average of 5.6 points. That is really good. Mm -hmm. That is really, really good. And last week, what was it, like (laughs) 2.4 whenever they got inside the scoring
1: opportunities? 2.4 against Tennessee and 3.8 against Alabama.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's your difference. That's your difference in this game. Because if you're scoring 2.4 or 3.8 against uh, LSU last week, you lose. Mm-hmm. Like, you just lose that game. And frankly, it's probably a blowout in the other direction. The offense held its end of the bargain, and that's why people are excited about Connor Basilek right now, is because of stuff like that. It was because of everything he did, but most specifically, he converted his scoring opportunities into touchdowns more often than not, and that's how they were able to win that game.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing that really stood out to me was it was success rate. And it's, I know that can be a little bit of a nebulous term that you think you understand just based off a of definition, which is fine. But, like, again, a successful play is a play that on first down gets 50% of the yards – uh, second down gets 70% of the yards, and then third and fourth down gets 100% of the yards. Okay, so if you get 50 50% on your first down, 70% on your second down, or 100% on third and fourth, that is a that is a successful play. You need successful plays to keep moving down the field. You can be a super explosive team and not have a lot of success rates, but like have one here or there that just goes a long way. A lot of college offenses find a lot of success with that, but it means that you are really boom and bust. Uh, You're not a very consistent team. It's always better to be efficient uh, than than explosive, although you do need explosive plays to keep up. I'm saying all this to say this. Missouri's success rate versus LSU's success rate really, really tells the story of how this game went. Uh, And it's actually a miracle that LSU was able to hang with Missouri, and yes, I said that in the correct way. Missouri – and the first quarter, had a 63% success rate. That means of all the plays that they ran, 63% of them went for the necessary amount of yards. LSU was at 50. Okay, We remember that first quarter. It was kind of a, a sprint, if you will. That second quarter, Missouri was again at a 63% success rate. LSU was at 16. Now... What is the problem there? Why why did LSU keep scoring in the second quarter? Well, we kept giving them 1-yard, 25-yard fields to score and they did it. Again, they had the one play to score and that's all they needed. If they if Missouri didn't give them a short field, they weren't doing anything with it. It's just that they kept giving them a short field. But then in quarter three, quarter four, again, 67% success rate from Missouri in the third, 60% in the fourth. LSU was at a 55% success rate in the third, and then 45% in the fourth. Basically, all this is saying that LSU was not efficient with their plays. They needed a lot of plays to move the ball, and most of them didn't go anywhere. Um, if you look at Miles Brennan's uh, passing chart, he threw – He dropped back for a pass 50 times because he got sacked twice, but threw 48 passes. His success rate passing the ball, 45.8%. Basically, if Terrace Marshall didn't catch it, it wasn't any good. (laughs) Because like most of his receivers, uh, John Jay Kirkland, Trey Carter, Coy Moore, Troy Palmer, uh, all 0%. John Emery Jr., who got six targets, 0% success rate. Didn't go anywhere with it. Uh, Keon Boot uh, had six catches, only a 50% success rate. The only two guys who did anything with their passes were Marshall and Gilbert. And Eric Gilbert, for all of his destruction that he <laughs> wrecked on Missouri in the first quarter, did not have a catch after Well, after the first quarter. His last and only target was in the uh, fourth quarter. And that was it. Wow. Yeah. And I, I don't know why they went away from him. Maybe Missouri took him away, but... It was the Terrace Marshall show with nothing, and LSU passed a lot because they had to pass a lot because they weren't weren't finding any success with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, Missouri had a really good defensive game plan, and again, we talked about this a little bit on Sunday whenever we had our show, but it sounds strange to say this because people just... I think we got so used to looking at the the box score, right? And you see, oh, Missouri gives up 40-plus points against LSU. Wow, the defense must have really been terrible in that game. They weren't. They, they really weren't. Um, and I think a lot of credit needs to go to Joshua Bledsoe in some respects. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ended up having a pretty decent day against Marshall, which, again, sounds strange given the fact that Marshall had 11 catches for <laughs> 230 yards in the game. Um, but not, most of that did not come against, um, Joshua Bledsoe. He, he actually did a really good job against him. He, he forced like a 50% catch rate whenever Marshall was defend or whenever he was defending Marshall and everybody else, uh, Marshall got 100% of the passes (laughs) going his way. Mm -hmm. So... When they put him on Marshall, things started going better for the Tigers defensively. Not perfect, but better. And certainly that ended up working out to perfection, obviously, on that fourth down, whenever it mattered the most. But so that that was a big part of it defensively. And then you also brought up the offensive side of things and the, the success rate that Missouri had. And I mean, a big part of that, you mentioned it in your article, RockEmNation.com. people should go read the full thing. A big part of that also is not dropping passes. Yep. There were zero official drops in that game by Missouri's offensive players on Sunday, on Saturday rather. That's huge, man. I mean, they just they had too many drops against Tennessee and it led to drive stalling, it put Basilek in bad spots, it put the offense in obvious passing down situations, so Tennessee was able to just pin their ears back and come after Basilick it just puts you in a bad situation where you can't be as diver, uh device or excuse me uh diverse offensively and we know Eli Drinkwitz has plenty to offer whenever he does get into situations where he can kind of be get creative so the receivers were great Basilick was great and having those two on the same page was a massive difference against LSU compared to where they were against Tennessee yeah
1: and again, LSU's defense might be really bad. That is that is entirely possible.
0: But again, Stingley's not.
1: Stingley is not bad.
0: And they beat him consistently they on Saturday.
1: Specifically, Towski Dolph, who was mm-hmm. able to get over the guy. Um, but again, you can count, you can throw in as many caveats and ifs as you want in there. But again, if the receivers don't drop the ball so many times against Tennessee, like has an 81% completion percentage and that's a pretty good defense. And then he put 85 up 85% completion percentage on LSU. Like this th- this is what the kid does. He makes accurate throws and as long as his guys catch it, like it's the right read, it's going somewhere. So, I'm not really concerned that oh, well, LSU just made him look good. Like, no, this he could have done this two weeks in a row um, if his receivers didn't uh, decide to drop the ball so often. So it's, it was very impressive to see, and you could see the stark difference between success race. Like, Oh wow. Yeah. Missouri really was having its way with LSU. LSU needed a lot of plays just to do anything at all. Um, the other thing that really stood out to me uh, was a starting field position. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Missouri started uh, on average on their own 23 uh, LSU on average started on their own 39. That's a, that's a huge difference. And keep in mind, like, one of those was Missouri's one-yard line. One of those was Missouri's 27-yard line. Um, but they found themselves on the 47. Missouri's 47. They found themselves on, on LSU's 45. Like, fumbles, punts, like, th- these sorts of things. Like, it really just kept LSU in the game. If Missouri didn't turn the ball over three times, <laughs> um, they probably would have just chased LSU off the field. And that's, that's a crazy thing to think about.
0: Yeah, I mean if you look at I mean Missouri only punted once. <laughs> so it, it's not like this was a uh, special teams issue. Mm-hmm. It was it was turnovers, it was the fumbles specifically and then LSU was able to take advantage by scoring soon thereafter. Um, I also love the fact that LSU was 0 for 10 on third Just downs. Just beautiful. In
1: that game. Beautiful.
0: I You almost never see that in another game in the SEC unless the other team is just incompetent offensively. And LSU is certainly not that like, say what you will about LSU's defense. The offense is pretty good. They've got some real weapons on that side of the ball. Um, So it, that, that is a hell of a number and a feather in Ryan Walter's cap that he was able to force that against that uh, offense.
1: Absolutely. And keep in mind, you know, I think defensive coordinators, especially the newer ones, they don't look at total yards, uh, you know at least the more savvy ones they're usually looking at yards per play and i think that really started in the halkeon big 12 air raid days when people were like oh my god what are we doing it's like oh well actually per play we did pretty well um and that's one thing that stood out to me as well if you look at the yards per play missouri averaged 8.7 against lsu lsu averaged 6.9 against missouri again not great averaging seven yards per play but you have to keep in mind that LSU was very explosive they were not very efficient and that showed itself again in the average uh, first down gain right at the most you know always, always got to put your best foot forward right you can't get all the yards unless you get some on the first down and again Missouri averaged 9.4 yards per first down LSU averaged 7.6 but BK I'm going to read to you real quick <laughs> LSU's first down yards gained <clears throat> excuse me here we go these are all the yards that they gained on first down 14 17 6 32 0 0 25 0 0, 0 uh 75 Ooh, that was a good one <laughs> 0 5 0 15 13, 0, 0, 18, 0, 4, 6, 0, 0. So that averages out to 7.6. But you can see there's a lot of nothing happened on most of their first downs
0: this is one of those median versus mean things mm-hmm. where like the average looks very good. But if you do the median, it might not look quite as great because mm-hmm. the median in this very well, may be like zero <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> because more often than not on first down, they were getting zero yards, but when they were getting yards, it was explosive, mm-hmm. which is great, right? Like it's nice to have those explosive plays and you would certainly sign up to have a bunch of those, but you would also like on first down when you're not getting, 17, 12, 75. Well, let's get a four, five, six yard gain here. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that was Missouri's ability to just dominate in the running game against LSU.
1: <sighs> really they dead. couldn't
0: do anything against this Mizzou defense whenever it came to what they were trying to accomplish on the ground. And when you can't do that, you become really predictable. And by the fourth quarter, LSU had more or less given up on their running game. They were only going to throw the ball at that point mm-hmm. in time. Some of that is due to time, of course, but a lot of it was just due to the ineffectiveness of their running game. So if you're in that kind of a situation late in the game, well, now Missouri knows what's coming at them, and they can game plan accordingly. They can just put on their best pass rushers. They can put their coverage linebackers out there for every down, and they can make sure that they've got five six D backs in the game so that way <laughs> they can keep up and keep everything in front of them on the back end. So their ability to really shut down the run, even without having a bunch of numbers in the box, that's really what led to a lot of that success.
1: Absolutely. It just it's it goes back to explosive versus efficient. You need to be both. If you're only explosive, you're going to have games like this where you just go nowhere. Uh, you know, LSU's drives, they would be zero. So 10 plays, 6 plays, 3 plays, 1 play, 4 plays, 3 plays, 1 play, Four plays, two plays. Like, if they were not hitting big, they weren't going anywhere. Uh, and that's how Missouri was able to keep it close. Uh, you know, when you have these these nowhere plays on first down, that's how you average 7.6 uh, first down gain and then also average nine yards to go on your third down as opposed to Missouri six, uh, which definitely played into LSU going 0 for 10. Um, but you got to do these little things. If you can't win the turnover, uh, the turnover department and you keep having way worse field position than your opponent, then you need to find other ways to make it up being efficient on the ground, which Missouri absolutely was having lots of efficiency in the passing game as well, which Missouri definitely did uh, and keeping the damage limited by making sure that they don't convert their third downs. Like that's a great way to counteract three turnovers and just terrible field position and Missouri did it. And that's how you win
0: and good coaching as well you know well, that's i mean that, yeah. that's another that's another part of this all of it and that that's what leads to everything that you just said right is is the good coaching part of it that's that's a prerequisite i also and eli drinkwitz has come out and kind of talked about this since now and i don't know how much we discussed this on our sunday show but that last drive the four downs basically the goal line stand for the tigers missouri um he didn't take a timeout down there yeah and some people disagreed with the decision. And in the moment, like innately, I was like, why aren't you taking a timeout here? You got to take a timeout. You got to save all this clock. And then as I thought about it a little bit more, and this, this was in the moment, me kind of processing all of this, right? I was like, you know what? They're pretty frenetic right now. Like they they don't seem to have a great game plan as to what they're getting ready to do here. Maybe you ride this out a little bit. And this is something that if you look at the NFL, um, Bill Belichick sometimes does this where he's like, Hey, I know that right now the best decision probably analytically is to call the timeout and for us to save the time. And for us to have a little bit of time left over, just in case they do score here, we can get the ball back and we can go down and score, but he will do this where he doesn't take the timeout because he thinks that schematically, or just because his team is coached better, whatever it may be momentum, whatever you believe in that or not, I not a discussion for right now, but He believes that there are times and places where this is the direction to go. And that's the route, ultimately, that Eli Drinkwitz went. And I think he was ultimately proven correct. Now, some of this is process versus results, but it was process and results, in my opinion, on this one. I think he was right to do that. And that's a pretty ballsy coaching decision by Eli Drinkwitz in the moment to decide, hey, you know, I think this is the right way to go about this and to not take the time out in that spot.
1: Here's, so that that goal line stand started with 37 seconds left on the clock. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's just call it what it is. If you saved all that time, if you used all your timeouts and saved 30, let's say, let's be generous and say that you were able to keep the clock from going below 30 seconds. 30 seconds after LSU scores uh, to storm back down the field and you try and kick a field goal with thicker, right? Like, totally can't be done. He can nail it from 50. Well, not 56, but 52. <laughs> um, so, yes, reasonably, maybe you could. You'd have to go, you probably get the ball in your 25. So, you have to go 25. You probably have to go, I don't know, what, 35, 40 yards in 30 seconds? Yeah. Is that possible? You bet. Um, is it likely with college? Like, there's so many times that you see this happen, it just doesn't play out. Um, so, what is the riskier move? Is it, use all your timeouts let them collect themselves have you know three controlled cracks at the at the goal line and then hope that you can turn around and and make it 40 yards to get the field goal or is it yeah hey they're a little crazy if they want to take a timeout that's fine but let them kind of spin their top on their own and hope that you know you can just effort them away from whatever they want to do and you know i neither answer is like the correct answer um but I do like his, his aggressive stance there, and uh, obviously it worked out, so he had to be right.
0: Right, and, and really we're talking about either taking the timeout right after the completion to Terrence Marshall, mm-hmm. where they end up at the one-yard line, and that was reviewed, right? So they, they didn't even need to really necessarily take a timeout there. Yeah. Um, and then you get down to first and goal, and they run, and you get a stop. So that's where you could have taken a timeout. Yeah. But they were frenetic at that point, and they needed to get another playoff quickly, so they go with a quick run, the same formation. This is the other thing that people don't consider. LSU had to keep the same personnel on the field <laughs> yep. for that next play. You're not subbing in and out, and Missouri had already matched up for that personnel. So they knew, okay, we match up well against whatever they're getting ready to do here. We know what their package is. Let's just go ahead and let's, let's try this out. Let's play this thing out here and see if we can win just the way that we did on first down and they did. (laughs) So they went on second down and then LSU takes a timeout there. So you actually didn't even really end up saving potentially that much time because now the other team has to throw on third and fourth down as they did. And now you're down to the end of the game and Missouri gets the ball back. They ended up getting the ball back with 16 seconds. So it probably would have been somewhere around there had they scored anyways. Mm -hmm. So you maybe would have saved 15 seconds tops yeah which is not nothing it's something but it ended up both in practice and in terms of like the way that he discussed why he went about it and that's the biggest thing to me is I just wanted to hear that he had a reason why he did it (laughs) and I think like sometimes with Barry Odom or with Gary Pinkle in the past he did this as well there just didn't seem to be a whole lot of rationale for some of the decisions that were made. Like there, there wasn't a whole lot of thought that appeared to either be put into their explanation to the media or the decision in general. And I just want to know that there's a plan. Yeah. If there's a plan there, okay, I can get behind. I can decide whether or not I agree with it, but at least I know there's a plan. Mm-hmm. And there was clearly a plan for, for Eli Drinkwitz at the end of that sequence.
1: Which is all you want to hear. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think it's gamesmanship to not give away your secrets. Like, guess what? There are so many dudes on any college football staff who are reading your all your tells and all your favorite plays and like you're not gonna hide anything. Yes, maybe saying it out loud makes it their job a little bit easier, but they're gonna figure you out. But I it is it, it it builds confidence. BK, it makes me feel good that that guy in charge knows exactly what he's doing. So that's always nice to hear that
0: right and, and this is the case in recruiting too right mm-hmm. like he says he's got a plan and this is how he's going to attack the state and then look it, it it's clearly worked and some of that is maybe not totally like a direct one-to-one reflection but a lot of it is mm-hmm. like he said he was going to get in contact with every football staff in the state and i think he came through on I'm pretty that sure he and did. that's not yeah. nothing like yeah that's a pretty big thing so i I think there's a plan there, and I think that was just a microcosm of who Eli Drinkwitz is as a coach. He's got a plan for things, and when you've got a plan, a lot of the times it tends to work
1: out. It does. Two things that I noticed uh, just kind of on the season that make me go, hmm. Uh, The first one is uh, Larry Roundtree's usage. Uh, I pointed out that so far this season, Larry has run the ball 50 times. 27 of those times have been on first down. Um, again, I don't know what that means from a defensive schematic standpoint or what coaches are going to think, but, um, a BK, does that surprise you? And B, should we be concerned that that is just kind of a, a, a trend that we see throughout the rest of the season?
0: So it's interesting because typically, um, I would be the guy cause I am analytically inclined. Like I am, I'm very similar to Nate, not, not as much. Nate is as good as you'll get with college football stats, um, behind maybe only Bill Connolly, but, I I'm typically the guy that would tell you, Hey, first down carries are not a good idea. It's, it's been proven like first down runs, early down runs are, are not efficient. Um, that being said, there are different ways to look at it. Like if you've got light boxes on first down, that changes things. If you're running where you have five blockers in front of you and the defense for whatever reason, only has four guys in the box Well, you've got numbers, and so it actually becomes an efficient play for you to run on that play. Mm -hmm. If you've got hat-on-hat where you've got five guys in the box, your five offensive linemen you're confident in, well, then that's not such a bad play to be able to get five yards on first down. And that's kind of what's been borne out here. I'd have to go back and actually watch individual plays to see if that's what's happening here. Um, I would bet that it is, given that a lot of these plays are RPOs. So yeah. I would imagine that Missouri's just running into a lot of light boxes and they're taking advantage of them. But I don't know for sure. It is something worth watching moving forward. But I'm guessing that's what's happening here is they're running into a lot of light boxes and they're just taking advantage of it.
1: I mean, it certainly works, you know, um, I mean, for for all my concern, you know, again, Larry Roundtree uh, had a success rate of 72 percent when running the ball. <laughs> <laughs> he got four yards on 66 almost 67 of his of his carries and once he got past that four yard mark he was adding an extra five on top of it so um he was he was doing very very well uh so obviously it worked and it's just it's just a trend and i don't know what that means long term but if it works hey keep doing it the other thing that is a little bit troubling is we've got three games so far in this season and maybe for the rest of the season but we'll get to that later um Missouri just continues to be like the most uh, turnover unlucky team in the world because over three games, there have been nine fumbles. So counting up all the fumbles from both sides, Missouri and their opponents, nine fumbles. Tigers have only recovered three of them. Usually you recover about 50 over a season, 50%. Uh, And then likewise, they have defensed 15 passes. And college teams tend to pick off about 20% of the passes that that they defense. Uh, which means that they should have three so far and they have <clears throat> zero. Uh, is this just, you know, the beast has to wake up or is this a continuing concern from last year?
0: Both skills matter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, sometimes when your corners aren't great at catching the football, uh, I th- this is how it goes, you know? And a lot of Missouri's corners are young. This They can get better, right? This is something where, you have young corners, and it is possible that over time they will develop in this area. But I mean, you watch the games, people uh, that are listening to this right now, you and the listening audience, you've watched the games, you, you've seen Missouri's corners not exactly come down with all of the balls that maybe they should. So I, this this is something that I do think you can watch it, and the eye test matches up with the stat. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of the way that I would look at
1: it. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, any other lingering LSU thoughts before we move on?
0: Um, do you want to get into the receiver questions now or later?
1: Okay. That's actually a pretty good segue. Uh, so we will get into it now via a different route. Um, it was announced yesterday, if I remember correctly, that, uh, CJ Boone Parkway North CJ Boone, St. Louis, uh, is in the transfer portal. Uh, apparently, he has tons of love for the school uh, and the staff, although he didn't mention, mention uh, Coach Trinkwitz specifically. Um, but he doesn't think that this is the place for him, and he is going to go somewhere else, and he's no longer with the team. Uh, he can't come back. That's the beauty of the transfer portal. If no one takes you, uh, allegedly you can come back. I don't know if he would. But uh, so far, we're pretty much writing him off as, as no longer a Missouri Tiger. This is after the LSU game where we saw – Barrett Bannister. We saw Deontay Smith, who apparently goes by Boo, which I freaking love. And um, s- needs a better number. He does. Okay. That. BK's still on the number thing. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, and then we also saw uh, Towski Dove. And and these three were, were backups. We saw Micah Wilson out there. He caught a touchdown pass. He's a backup. Chance Looper. Chance Looper, who's a freshman, walk on uh, until dad gives him a scholarship next year. But still, <clears throat> we saw a lot of walk ons, younger backups, and uh, C.J. Boom was not one of them. Now, I believe he had opted out, so we weren't planning on seeing him, but um, he doesn't want to be on the team anymore. So this kind of leads to the question, Missouri has a lot of receivers right now, and a lot of them, the majority of them, are super, super young. Um, C.J. Boom used to be one of them. He and Maurice Massey opted out, so neither one of them playing, but they are both in the same class. We have seen Chris Abrams drain. Um, we've seen Kurtowski Dove. But, like, BK, the younger backups did way better than their seasoned veteran starters. So the question comes to mind, do you stick with the hot hand uh, or try some other people out, or whenever – you know chisholm and hazelton recover do they come back to their old spots without any question
0: not at the same level that they were previously that's where i stand on this um i don't think they should lose their jobs they should not be put on the bench as a result of this because both of them first of all based on our priors are talented players right damon hazelton has done it at this level we've seen it Um, Eli Drinkwood said in the offseason, and we've repeated this ad nauseum, he needs more touchdown makers, right? Damon Hazleton is a touchdown maker. That is what he specialized in at Virginia Tech, and we've, we've seen some of that, at least some of those abilities already early this season here at Mizzou. Kiki Chisholm was the most hyped guy on the team in fall camp. Mm-hmm. So I want to see more of those guys, especially with opportunities against Lester opponents that aren't named Tennessee or Alabama. I would have been really interested to see what they would have done against that LSU defense, honestly, because like you said, they're, they're not as good as probably we would have expected coming into the year, but they did have some talent on the back end. Mm-hmm. Like they had a five-star or y- er, corner on one side and they had a future top 15 pick and Derek Stingley Jr. on the other side. So, they have talent. It's just not coming together for whatever reason. Um, long story short, I say, all oh, let's say this. What we saw in particular from Deontay Smith and Towski Dove, those two should play. They should get reps. They are good. Like, the routes were impressive. Deontay Smith, I keep referencing this play, but, God, it was an, really impressive. Uh, he had a back shoulder fade. It was a fade. It was. I, I kept calling it a comeback uh, on the show on Sunday. It was a fade route actually, where it was. It was a timing route, and it was back. It was. It was anticipated that it was going to be a back shoulder throw, so Basilick timed it out perfectly, right as Deontay Smith turns around, the ball's right there for him. And it was made perfect because he fakes this stock block, which is what a a receiver would typically do against a corner. He fakes the stock block against the corner as if it's a play action, goes out into his route, and is sprinting at full speed as if he's going to run the fade, and then stops on the dime, turns right around, and immediately the ball is right there. That's something you see, like, from really veteran, really skilled wide receivers. And Deontay Smith did that as a guy that we haven't seen much of at all. Mm -hmm. So I want to see more of him. And Towski Dove belongs on the field, man. (laughs) He is long. He is rangy. He has some speed. He runs really good routes. He has an ability to find the open areas in the zone. I want to see more of that guy, especially as a redshirt sophomore. So I think they deserve more opportunities. And I would say, like, 60-40, 50-50 is the way that I would split it up between them and Kiki Chisholm and Damon Hazelton. Where are you at on this?
1: I want to see more of Dove. Um, I am absolutely on board with that. As far as Smith goes, man, he was just, he was so good. He was so good. Yeah. Now... I think on the official, official death chart, Smith backs up Hazleton and Dove backs up Chisholm. So if you go by those rules, which, listener, there aren't really rules, but if you do, you could not have Smith and Hazleton on at the same time. Um, you could, you'd basically be rotating out Dove and Chisholm and then Smith and Hazleton. I think, you know, through two games, Hazleton was either the best or second best receiver, depending on how you view Jalen Knox. He's more of a utility guy, but... Um, he was up there, so I don't want to take reps away from Hazleton. Chisholm is not quite there yet, but I want to keep giving him options and opportunities because I think he could be there, especially based off of everybody's uh, glowing reviews of him in, in fall practice. So, um, I don't know, situational. If you want to trot both, uh, if you want to keep trotting out Dove and Smith, and just say, yeah, hey, you know what? They lost their spot; they have to earn it back. I'm good with that. Um, kind of tells me that maybe those two. You know, maybe at least uh, Dove doesn't practice very well because he's been a backup for for uh, three years now. Uh, but you know, Smith walked on, just walked on this year, so there's only two years left of him anyway. Um, if you want to put keep putting him out there and see what he can do against whoever our next opponent is, I'm good with that.
0: Don't forget the extra year, by the way.
1: True. Yeah. So I guess he's got three years. Um, mm-hmm. If you treat wanna...
0: him basically like a redshirt sophomore.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would be good with trying them out there. I like your idea of like a 60 40, like, Hey, we don't need, uh, you know, only two guys demanding all the, all the snaps here. You can rotate them in and out. I don't know what situations you want to do that, but it's nice to know that when the top two receivers go down with COVID, um, at least against LSU, we got two very capable backups who can, who can do some damage.
0: Yeah, there, there's depth at the position, which is not something we've been able to say in the past. Like, you you in the past would hear, hey, there's a receiver down. You'd be like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. how many times did Emmanuel Hall go down and we're like, oh, my God, the offense is just screwed. Yep. Like, it's just they're not going to be able to score today. And against LSU, they scored repeatedly. So it was a really impressive performance as kind of a follow-up question to that. I think if you asked me prior to the season, like early in the off season, hey, if Missouri has a situation where they're going to be down some receivers early and they have to go young at the position, who do you think are the most likely players of the young guys that would make an impact? I would have probably told you J.J. Hester and Jay maybe Macklin. Jay Macklin. Yep. And neither of those guys saw the field from my recollection. Hester had like two area.
1: snaps. But Macklin was nowhere okay. to be seen. Yep.
0: So it seems like they are kind of at the bottom of the depth chart right now mm-hmm. because Michael Wilson played on Saturday. Mm-hmm. We've seen Kiki Chisholm and Damon Hazleton play. Barrett Bannister is a stalwart. Uh, Dominic Jacinto has played pretty consistently. Chris Abrams-Strain hasn't played a lot, but has gotten in there on some of those gadget plays. Chance Looper, I think, was in on like five snaps mm-hmm. on Saturday. Deontay Smith was one of the starters. Jalen Knox was a starter. Towski Dove was a starter. The only other guys that have not played are Cade uh, Muser, 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 uh, yeah. a walk on, mm-hmm. and Jaden Smith. Yeah. So are we to assume at this point that Jay Macklin and JJ Hester, two of the highest rated receivers in this class, two of the highest rated players in this class, are just at the bottom of the depth chart right now in that receiver room?
1: Or they have COVID. Mm. I mean,. In a normal year, yes, you would say, yeah, these two are at the bottom. Now we did see Hester. I think I saw Hester. Um I have him down for two snaps unless I saw ghosts. So um <laughs> so definitely not Macklin, which is a shame. Uh but but because it's 2020 and we're dealing with what we're dealing with, you got that that is the specter of are they sick? Sure. And I don't know what the answer is, but um
0: I think they announced though all of the guys, right? Did they on Saturday? I'm pretty sure they announced all of the guys that were out on Saturday because of it. So um, I'll have to go back and make sure that I had that correct. But I don't I don't think those guys were sick. Okay. So if well. if we were to eliminate that, let's let's put it this way. Yeah. If we were to eliminate the sickness and they were active on Saturday, they were eligible to play. Mm-hmm. That's the takeaway, right? Yep. Interesting Which
1: sucks. Here's the thing. Ugh. I'm trying to balance between emotional reaction and just logic. Take away the Macklin name on the back of the jersey. If if the kid's not doing well, you don't want him on the field. If he doesn't practice well, you don't want him on the field. Um, if he's just too young, he's not getting it yet, that's fine. He's gonna he's gonna get there eventually. But because he's got the Macklin on the back of the jersey. We're all just like, ooh, I want to see him play. You know, <laughs> I want to see him on the field. I want him to be just like his cousin. So, I want that. He's a, you know, he's a he's a legacy uh, recruit, and he was one of the higher rated recruits from this class. Like you said, he and Hester. So, I want to see him on the field. I want to see the highly rated guys perform. But if they're not cutting in practice, then that's on them, and that's okay because they got they got to get better. But I don't know, man. Uh, you got Boone is is transferring. Um, Edwards transferred. You know, it kind of feels like any of the guys who are opting out are probably transfer risks, you know, just kind of based yeah. off of, you know, being people. Um, so I I don't know. Just also real quick, the class of 2023, whatever it is, I know the NCAA rule gives them extra eligibility. I can't think that far right now. The class of 2023 currently consists of eight guys. On this roster: Connor Bazlek, Maurice Massey, Jack Buford, Luke Griffin, Zachary Brooks, Jamie Petway, Ishmael Burdine, and Jelani Williams. Hmm. That's it.
0: Now and that was like two classes ago, basically, yeah. for Barry Odom. So now that ain't good.
1: Keep in mind that will probably be supplemented with Juco somewhere down the line, and they'll slot, you know, somewhere in there. But that's it. Eight guys. From the 2023 uh, graduating class, which is not great.
0: Uh, It's also noteworthy, by the way, they have not taken any wide receivers yet in this recruiting class. Now, Uh, they've tried. (laughs) They've tried really hard. I would imagine that's going to change at some point. Um, But thus far, they have not added to that position group for next year. Um, So the, the depth that has been developed so far this year is really important. It is for this year and beyond um, seeing that they do have guys that are capable with Deontay Smith in particular and Towski dove in particular, kind of stepping up on Saturday that that's really big for next year. So that way it's not only Jalen Knox Mm -hmm. uh, who has to be able to kind of live up to his end of the
1: bargain. And I will, I will put out a, uh, a recruiting update uh, probably in the next couple of weeks because there's nothing else going on. Uh, but of the receivers that Missouri has a legitimate chance at getting, it's uh, two three stars: uh, Jaden Payne and Reese. J- well, there's way too many e's there. Reese Jesse. There we go. Uh, Payne is from Antioch, Tennessee. Jesse's from Hopkinsville, Kentucky. They are not ranked nationally, not ranked from their position, and kind of middle of the pack in their individual states. So. Um, word is that, uh, Missouri recruiters have kind of did a hard reset. They've stopped with whatever offers are out there right now. And i going to reassess as the, as the year goes on. So that probably means they're looking to bring in a new hall of, of offers. Uh, probably a lot more receivers targeted, uh, probably a lot more juco's, probably some transfers that are going to be out there. Um, but yeah, that's receiver is like oddly deep and yet, massively missing a bunch of contributors pass a yeah. pass a block of uh, guys. So it's kind of a weird position.
0: It'll also be interesting. I mean, it, it JJ Hester might be just a year away from his development, right? Sure. It's possible that next year he's going to get into this mix and maybe he ends up being the best of this group. And he just, he hasn't gotten down the offense and maybe the same is true for Jay Macklin. Yeah. Uh, we, don't, we don't know what's going on inside of that meeting room, but I did think it was notable that we've basically seen almost every wide receiver on the roster now uh, Mm -hmm. play at some point this year, and those two in particular are kind of lacking in terms of the playing time department so yeah. it's it's worth noting right now that they appear to be behind the rest today mm-hmm. could change next year hopefully will change next year you would expect i have really high hopes for jj hester His yeah his film so. was really impressive mm-hmm. uh coming out but i i would think that that would change eventually but right now that that doesn't appear to be the case
1: so then we get on to what's happening in, in the world around us and what's happening to the schedule and Man, it is weird. Uh, Vanderbilt. football, right? Well, (laughs) mm, there will be football played, whether it's by the guys in the black helmets with the Tiger lids, I don't know. Um, Vanderbilt has been a really interesting case, uh, a a negatively interesting case this season. Uh, They just, they started the season with a ton of dudes uh, on COVID watch, and they've been playing basically somewhere between 10 and 14 guys down, uh, since the season kicked off now as the sec stipulates you need to have at least 53 scholarship players on your roster without the covid uh 11 of those need to be offensive linemen four of those or sorry six of those need to be offensive linemen four of those need to be defensive linemen and you need at least one quarterback vanderbilt was able to operate under those rules but then I guess after they lost to South Carolina, they were doing their tests and they were trending downward and now are no longer able to field a complete team that is not COVID-infected. So, as I put up uh, yesterday on the site, Vandy Game has been postponed. After I put that out there a couple hours later, it was said that they are planning on rescheduling it for that league-wide bye week, uh, December 12th. Um, So that's when we're expecting to play Vanderbilt. And then today, Coach Dan Mullen of the Florida Gators found out that he had the COVID. And it turns out that 19 of his players also have it. And they expect more to test positive soon. Florida has shut down football operations effective immediately You can pretty much kiss their game against LSU goodbye, and I don't know what that means for Missouri next week, but it's not trending well. So I hope you enjoyed the LSU game because that might be the last one for a little bit.
0: Uh, question for you: Could Missouri play? Oh no, that's two weeks from now. Next week is a bye week for Vandy too. Oh, this doesn't work out well at all from the scheduling gods.
1: Nope, it does not.
0: (laughs) There is there is like no way to make this work because I was looking at the schedule and the next game for Vanderbilt, like if that was potentially at risk, right, would have been against Ole Miss, but that's two weeks from this weekend. They have a bye week after this week in their schedule, so there's not even a way that you could like switch Missouri's opponents for that week where like, let's say Vandy was going to play Ole Miss next week and Florida was going to have the week off, well, then and Vandy was off as well. You could have had, instead of Ole Miss playing Vandy and Missouri playing Florida, Ole Miss and Missouri just play each other. But that is not going to be an option. It doesn't appear. So I got nothing for you, man. It sounds like it might be a two-week hiatus for the Tigers.
1: You know, one week isn't bad. Um, you and I talked about it on the podcast. I mentioned it on the on the piece with the breaking news. Like, <laughs> Markel Etzee and Isaiah McGuire just played more snaps than they probably have ever played in a single game and to ask them to turn around and do it again uh, you know seven days later was asking a lot of a college athlete um same for the receiving core like they had a great game last week uh a couple days ago we obviously we spent the past 10 minutes uh them with their with their prowess but like it's hard to ask them to do that again uh so having one week off between the big upset and and Vanderbilt would be nice. Um, you can kind of bask in the glow of the victory. Uh, you don't have the pressure of, okay, well, don't screw it up like I brought up on the podcast uh, after the game. like You can take a little bit and breathe and recover, and it's a good thing. And, and Coach Drinks said the same uh, in his Zoom conference uh, this afternoon. Two weeks off is a little bit different. Now you're you're talking about getting antsy. Now you're talking about herding cats. Now you're talking about football players who don't have any football to be played and keeping them focused, keeping them making sure they're making smart decisions, uh, keeping them in line, uh, making sure they're doing everything the correct way. So it's, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe Florida magically turns this thing around. I doubt it. Um, But... It sucks. I, I don't really have any words beyond that.
0: So one one thing maybe you could do, I'm, I'm trying to find some solutions here, like if you were willing to get a little bit creative with the scheduling. Um, so let's see here. Missouri scheduled to play Florida that week. Georgia, Kentucky play against each other. Tennessee play. South Carolina plays. So Vandy would be the only one, and they're off. So who's the one from the west that has a bye that week? I guess would be where you could maybe get. New. What about Mississippi State? Could you move that Mississippi State game up and move the Florida game back?
1: So Mississippi State That would be
0: the December 5th game for Missouri. December Mizzou, 5th, yeah. And they have a bye week right now scheduled for the week that Missouri were to play Florida. Huh? Maybe that could be something you do? Could be. You know, because then, now the December 12th game becomes the open week for both of them, and if you needed to schedule another game, maybe you do it that way. You know, like maybe Vandy now becomes a December 12th game for Mizzou.
1: I could see that.
0: It would mean Mississippi State has a quick turnaround from Texas A&M, then plays Mizzou, and then goes out to Alabama, so I don't think they would love this, but I mean there's
1: it's better than not playing. Welcome to twenty twenty, yeah, right? Exactly. Um we're also assuming also they
0: don't get a bye week this year. Ooh. Until December twelfth.
1: <laughs> well, um you're also assuming that the SEC cares about Missouri playing all its games. Um from a from a money making standpoint, I'm sure they do. From a relationship standpoint, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Um but you have, you know, you want as much inventory that so you can sell all the ads, and this would fulfill that. So I, I don't know. Birmingham's got their their hands full with all of this uh, between yeah. Vanderbilt's constant COVID cases, the hurricane Delta thing with LSU, uh, now Florida's shutting things down for a little bit, um, and you know, Florida just played Texas A and M. Texas A and M needs to go through their testing. I'm assuming we would have heard something by now, but that's kind of scary. Um, so I. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what it means, but that and is Texas A&M
0: is, by the way, not slated to play that week either. They have a bye week that week too. So you think they could really flip that and make A&M? No, what I'm saying is that could have helped as well. Like if Texas oh, A&M see. had had a game that week. Oh, you know who Texas A&M plays this weekend though?
1: Uh, Mississippi I'll, State. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look so at that.
0: May, Maybe this week becomes a bye week for Mississippi State. You play that Mizzou-Mississippi State game next week, and that's the way you handle it.
1: There you go. It's possible. Look at BK. It's possible. Problem solver.
0: I think that's the only way. If they're going to fix this in any way, it is Mizzou versus Mississippi State on October 24th. Um, I think that's the only way you can from, from what I can see may, maybe there's like a matrix that they're looking at that allows sure. for a little bit more flexibility mm-hmm. but based on just like the easiest point A to point B Occam's Razor situation I think Mississippi State would be the only reasonable opponent for Mizzou on October 24th because I, I don't see any way that Mizzou is playing Florida that, on that day yeah. I wish they could but I just I don't see any way that it could be possible
1: Well, I mean, like we said before the season even started, the the first goal of the season is to play the season. The second goal of the season is to complete the season. So um, Florida's not able to do that right now. Vanderbilt's probably not going to be able to do that right now. Missouri might. uh, Might not have a full 10-game slate. But um, at this point, I trust uh, the decision-makers to to find a way uh, to to reward the teams that are doing well with their COVID practicing uh, to get them some games. So... We'll see what that means in the long run um but yeah keep it tuned to Rock Nation we're going to tell you everything that we know um and of course there's all plenty of outlets you can follow as well but uh we are my favorite so you should you should follow <laughs> our stuff um I don't know. It, it's kind of a bummer on a ending note here. So, uh, BK, do you have any anything that you'd like to share?
0: Yeah, Mizzou just beat LSU. Yeah! Now we get to bask in the glow of that for the next two weeks. Now, it really stinks that they couldn't play Vandy. Um, yeah. That, that's – like, if they had to postpone that Florida game or just cancel <laughs> it in general – You really wouldn't have hurt my feelings that much. I would have been okay with that. If Mizzou was not able to go down to the swamp where Dan Mullen was going to do everything he could to get 90,000 fans in the stands (laughs) this weekend, if they could avoid that game and playing Kyle Trask and Pitts and all of that and the offense that has been just amazing this year, yeah, I'm good. I'm all right without doing that. Not being able to play Vandy kind of stinks. Because then potentially you could have had the win versus LSU – if they take care of business against Vandy, as they should have, and then that game against Florida got postponed, now you go into Kentucky and, like, that's a really exciting game Mm -hmm. for Mizzou fans. They should have been really excited about that one at home against Kentucky, 11 a.m., SEC Network. You could be going for three in a row in that, feeling some real momentum, and feeling like, hey, maybe we can get to five, six wins this year if we get this one. Um, now, of course, that is not going to potentially be the case, but they beat LSU, and we've got that. That's that's all I needed this year. They got the one that I was looking for.
1: That's right. By the way, did you see that uh, Kentucky-Mississippi State score? Into that one. So we all know that Mississippi State like took it to LSU, much like like Missouri did. Just completely blew him out of the water. First game of the year. Oh my God! Mike Leach uh, is the answer in Starkville. KJ Costello is you know Heisman. Blah blah blah. Mississippi State oh. just lost to Kentucky twenty-four to two.
0: KJ Costello threw four interceptions in
1: the first quarter.
0: Oh God! Their backup quarterback averaged two point nine yards per attempt and threw two interceptions.
1: Terry what the hell Terry Wilson. Kentucky's yeah, for quarterback. Three
0: and a half yards per attempt. <laughs> Terry
1: Wilson, Kentucky's quarterback, went eight for twenty for 73 yards and one. The team, Kentucky, as a team, as a team, had 84 yards on the ground, 73 yards through the air. That's quick math. That's 157 yards. And they won twenty-four to two. Two. Mississippi State scored two points.
0: Mississippi State threw 70 passes and scored two points.
1: (laughs) 70 passes, 3.9
0: yards. (laughs) Do you know how hard it is to throw 70 passes and to not at least get to three points? Like... To fail to get to three points while throwing 70 passes is one of the single greatest achievements in the history of sports. In fact, I'm going to look this up. (laughs) I doubt it's ever been done before.
1: To throw 70 passes. Now, again, that's between KJ Costello, who threw 55, and his backup, who's a dude named Will Rogers, uh, who threw 15. That is 70 combined passes. They didn't eclipse 300 yards because their average pass completion was 3.9 yards. That's the best they could do. Kylan Hill, who is, from a talent standpoint, the best running back in the SEC, had seven carries for 17 yards.
0: It's the first time it's happened in the last 20 years. (laughs) 70-plus pass attempts and three or fewer points. (laughs) That's
1: awesome. It just, it just, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So,
0: no other team has scored fewer than 10 points while throwing at least 70 passes. Look,
1: the... You know, in this offseason with the with the coaching hires, you know, Missouri went with Drinkwitz, Arkansas went with Pittman, which wasn't like hiring Pittman himself, but like hiring a guy who could afford really good coordinators, and they did that. Uh, Ole Miss with with Lane Kiffin, Mississippi State went with Mike Leach. Like, there was a huge infusion of offense in the SEC's hiring class of 2019 2020. God bless Kentucky for still trying to play in 2009 and winning with defense and running the ball not that well and keeping that old SEC blood still boiling at full at full power and winning with defense and, and terrible offense and on the ground game. Just God bless well,
0: him. It worked this week. It did not work the week prior. It did not, no. Because Lane Kiffin is just Lane Kiffining all over <laughs> the SEC right now, and he does not care about your defense. He does not care about his defense. He is going to score. Yep and he is going to find a way to do it no matter what. And guess what? It's actually worked so far this year. Lane Kiffin, this is a success what we are seeing down at Old Miss. Put up 35 on Florida, lost the game by 51 to 35 margin. Put up 42 on Kentucky's defense and then put up 48 this week against Alabama in what was a wild game against the Crimson Tide, 63 to 48. So, it couldn't stop anybody, but he did put up 48. It's gonna be a fascinating story down there in Mississippi with him.
1: Highest scoring re- uh, regulation game in SEC history. Wow. Mm-hmm. Crazy. I love Kiffin is such a troll. I love him. I love him.
0: He's a good coach though. He is a really I, good I, coach. I do think sometimes people get lost in the statements and the um, the bravado and don't realize that he's actually a really good offensive mind. Smart. And so this should not surprise people that we are seeing this. Remember what he did with Alabama? Mm -hmm. That offense looked different when he was gone, Mm -hmm. and they lost the national championship in part because he wasn't there. So this this is no surprise. He's a really good offensive mind. Now we'll see if he's successful as a head coach at Mississippi, but what we've seen so far is is pretty impressive from him. Yeah. But Missouri's got a good offensive mind of their own. They really do.
1: And we're not going to lose our coordinator because we don't have one. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, seriously, I, because, again, I am I'm a descendant of a nervous monkey. Anytime the Missouri offense does well, I'm like, oh, they're going to take our offensive coordinator away. It's really nice to know that that can't happen without also losing your head coach. So kind of nice.
0: I hated it over the summer hated that's it that's okay i was terrified and now i like it uh,
1: hey you like it because it works you can hate it you know when it doesn't work and right. it'll be fine
0: it made me nervous let me put it that way it made me nervous that he was taking on so many duties at once but he has proven that he can handle
1: that. yeah i'm still nervous i feel like he's gonna have a, a nervous breakdown at some point but so far he hasn't so hey it's still it's fine uh last parting shot bk
0: Impressive performance. Connor Bazilek is the real deal. I've got a piece, if you're listening to this, it's probably up at this point on Rocket Nation about the wide receiver situation. What they did on Saturday was nothing short of remarkable without their top two guys, without three of their top four guys at the position. Um, the defense, I'm going to look into a little bit more as we go along. Cause we're going to have plenty of time to react to that game. Certainly. <laughs> we are. Yes. Uh, I want to look into also what you were saying about the Larry Roundtree early, down runs. Let's, let's look into that a little bit. Um, now that we're going to have some extended time to be able to to dive deeper in what they have been doing. Um, and then later this week, Nate Edwards has provided a prompt to me, <laughs> about creating the perfect Missouri quarterback, and so I will do exactly that. So plenty to look forward to on rockimnation.com, even if we aren't going to have a game to actually react to this weekend or possibly next.
1: Absolutely. I got a, I got a tweet. Um, I forget the gentleman's name, uh, but he was asking about pre-snap motion, uh, yards gained off of that, and uh, Aaron Dryden is going to have a piece. I took a look at it earlier today uh, because he messaged me. He's like, I think I got something here, and I took a look at it. Y'all are going to love it. He breaks down uh, pre-snap motion yards uh, gained off of those kind of formations, off of those kind of plays where it sets up. Oh, hell yeah. Um, it's it's super cool, and I hope you all take a read because Aaron's really good for this kind of schematic stuff. He's, he's a former player. Uh, his dad's a former player. He knows his stuff really well, and he's just as much of a, a, a geek as as BK and I are. So it's going to be pretty cool.
0: I'm looking forward to it. We've got some really good writers on the staff. We do. At, um can take you kind of inside the game in a way that even I or Nate Edwards cannot. So definitely be checking the site for them as well.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, that's our show for today. Uh, As always, we appreciate the downloads and we appreciate the subscriptions. Leave a comment or rate us because we love all types of feedback. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Nate G Edwards. Uh, He is at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rockin' flagship at Rockin' Nation. Uh, We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z you you